Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 38, Filling Up What is Lacking. And in this episode, I would like to look at a particular passage in Colossians where Paul is explaining to the church there the ministry that he has to the church and some choice of words that he presents to them, which at first reading can sound somewhat offensive, quite possibly even heretical in the way that Paul presents what it is that he is doing in and for the Colossians. These are phrases that Paul will use to churches elsewhere, particularly to the Corinthian church and oftentimes in the book of Philippians as well. And I want to take a look at this for the ramifications that it has both for understanding Paul's purpose and Paul's ministry as he understands it, but also for the way the church itself is to understand its relationship to Christ and to the world. And so this episode is very, very important. I'm very, very eager to get into this. These are confusing topics and questions that lots of Christians have about what in the world Paul is talking about. And I hope that after this episode, there will be a lot more clarity and a lot more power going forward as we recognize our calling in the world. So let's get right into it. To begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Colossians 1, 24 through 29, and then we'll make some observations about it as we go along. So here's what Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that's how the chapter 1 in Colossians actually comes to an end. Now, the, the title of this particular episode is Filling Up What is Lacking, and it's a, it's a five-word phrase that shows up right in Colossians 1.24, and we will get to that in just a second. But to kind of round out the, the teaching, a few of the things that Paul says right at the beginning of this passage is that he is rejoicing in his sufferings for this church's sake. And we've looked at now for a handful of episodes this idea of the suffering servant. And we've looked at the idea of the redemptive nature of suffering that comes ultimately through Jesus. But now here Paul, who has adopted much of the language um, of Jesus in terms of the suffering and the servant nature of this suffering Jesus. Um, Paul has already, we've seen, applied this to himself in Acts chapter 13, and I think rightly for doing so. But he even refers to himself in verse 25, having become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him for the Colossians. Well, the word for minister is just the word for servant. That's precisely what it means. Um, and Paul sees himself clearly in that role. And it, it's also, if you notice closely, a, a somewhat of a continuation from recognizing what we saw 
Um, also, in the book of Acts, when Saul is first met by the risen Jesus, and the words that Jesus speaks to Saul are, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we looked at, in Acts chapter 9, this incredibly close connection between Jesus and his followers such that he not only represents them, but when others persecute the church, they are in fact persecuting Jesus. It is this inseparable connection utilized most clearly through the image and through the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ, like the actual physical representation of Jesus on the earth. And this is what Paul mentions here as well in verse 24 of Colossians when he says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So so Paul is very, very um, narrowly focusing our attention here on all of the themes that we've been looking at over the past few episodes. He's bringing together the body of Jesus, which is the church. He's bringing together the suffering nature of the afflictions of Christ, and he's bringing that together with his role as a servant, and as we've seen from Acts 13, as ultimately recognizing in himself a continuation of the suffering servant nature of Jesus. And Paul is pulling these themes together so tightly And he is pulling them together so personally that within his own self, he sees something so incredibly close to what Jesus came to do that he offers us these words that, like I said in the introduction, depending upon how you hear them, might come across as offensive and could quite possibly, depending upon your perspective or the way these words fall on your ears, might actually hear them as somewhat heretical. And so allow me to read them one more time so that you can have it fresh in your mind. Paul says this in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, The real question, and I think the reason why this phrase hits people so funny, and and I'm not making this up. I I guess I don't necessarily know if you have ever read this passage and if this has ever come across to you as somewhat strange. Um, It has come across to my ears as strange. I have been asked repeatedly by different people what this means. Um, I was leading some of the leaders in our church through the book of Colossians a handful of years ago. And these weren't just average members of my church. These were the leaders. And when we got to this section, everyone stopped. (laughs) And the question was very clearly posed, what in the world does this mean? And I think the reason why it strikes people so strange is because of this word lacking. Um, Christians, and for good reason, do not see anything in Jesus's afflictions that can be in any way lacking. It it is as if Paul is stating that something is incomplete, something is missing, something wasn't fully accomplished, something wasn't fully brought to its end in Christ. And the New Testament would give a resounding statement of disagreement to that notion. Um, for, For instance, in in John 19, when Jesus is on the cross, his statement, it 
is finished means that all that had to be done to pay for the sins of all the world and all the people of God was perfectly accomplished by Christ. We, we know from other teachings of Paul throughout the New Testament, as well as many of the other authors, that Paul cannot mean that he fills up by his suffering what is lacking in the atoning worth of the death of Christ. Paul is not suggesting that there is something that is happening here in and through his life that is in some way offering forgiveness of sins for the people or reunification and oneness with God or restoring peace and shalom back the way it was always supposed to be in and through his own suffering. That can't possibly be what he has in mind. Christ suffered, Peter tells us, once for sins, 1 Peter 3.18. No further suffering is needed to accomplish mankind's salvation. Or then as the author of Hebrews says, Jesus appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26. And we could go on, but for time's sake, I'll leave it with those passages there. Um, Hebrews 9, 1 Peter 3, and then John 19 when Jesus himself says, It is finished. There is no more work that needs to be done. Salvation has been made effective through Jesus' work and through Jesus' work alone. Okay, so then what does Paul mean? when he says that he fills up in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Well, what's missing in Christ's afflictions that Paul sees himself as filling up is the in-person presentation of Christ's sufferings to the people for whom Christ died. And that this is a concept that Paul will repeat numerous times throughout his letters, and we'll look at a few of those in just a a second to get a little more clarity as to what he's saying. But here's what I think Paul means. His afflictions, Jesus's afflictions, are lacking only in the sense that they are not seen and known among the nations personally, and they must therefore be carried by ministers of the gospel, Paul or Peter or you, or me. This is precisely how Paul views himself. He's already said so in Colossians 1.25, but in Ephesians chapter 3, he also refers to himself as a minister of the gospel, as well as a sharer in the sufferings of Christ. Let me give you two examples from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, Paul is exhorting the church. He says to them, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then two chapters later in Philippians 3.10, Paul says when talking about himself and his own desire to be found faithful in the eyes of Christ for the benefit of the church, he says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so Paul, in the position in Philippians chapter 3, has decided to throw off all of the spiritual accomplishments that would give people reason to boast in themselves and be proud of themselves and how spiritual they are in the eyes of others. And Paul throws those things off and says, what I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship, the sharing in his sufferings. 
becoming like him in his death. That is how Paul has decided to define life, and that is how Paul has decided to be most effective minister of the gospel in and through the churches and the Christians with whom he works. And so Paul sees his own suffering as the visible reenactment of the sufferings of Christ so that others will see Christ's love for them. And for this reason, Paul sees such suffering as a reason to rejoice because he knows that when others witness this and have no other way to explain it, they very well may in fact see the sufferings of Christ embodied in Paul and come to recognize that there is something true about Christ through watching them. Now, probably the strongest evidence in favor of reading Colossians 1.24 the way that I'm proposing we ought to read it is also, interestingly enough, found in the book of Philippians. In Philippians 2, um, verse 30, it provides, I think, the strongest evidence in favor of this. And, and, and it's that the, the, the church in Philippi gathers support for Paul, possibly money or some other supplies, and they decide to send that support to Paul in Rome by the hand of a man named Epaphroditus. Now, while traveling with these supplies, whatever they might be, Epaphroditus falls sick and nearly dies. And verse 27 says that God spares his life. Paul's recounting these events to the church in Philippi. It says that God spares his life to the great relief of Paul. And Paul then tells the Philippians to honor Epaphroditus when he comes back. And the reason Paul gives is very similar to what he says about himself in Colossians 1.24. Here's what Paul says to the Philippians about why they should honor Epaphroditus when he returns from having delivered Paul what, what the church wanted to give him. He says, He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In Greek, the word we heard translate complete is also the word fill up. So you could have read this. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to fill up what was lacking in your service to me. Now that sounds remarkably similar to the way Paul describes his own ministry in Colossians 1.24. And so I think we can make a couple of comparisons. I think we can use one passage to help us interpret the other. And this is really good Bible study, by the way. And I think this is um, made all the easier considering that, that both of these were written by Paul simply to different churches in slightly different times. But here's what's going on here. The gift brought to Paul was a gift of the church as a body. The church wanted to get there. It, it was a sacrificial offering of love. What was lacking and what would have blessed Paul as well as the church was the church's presentation of this offering in person. If the whole church, all the members could have come to Paul and offered him this gift in person, this of course was impossible. So Paul represents Epaphroditus as supplying this lack by his affectionate and zealous ministry. The same thing is happening with Paul in Colossians. Christ has prepared a love offering for the world by suffering and dying for sinners. It is full and complete and lacking nothing except one thing, a personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations of the world and the peoples of your workplace or your neighborhood or your community or your state. 
God's answer to this lack is to call the people of Christ, like Paul, to present the afflictions of Christ to the world, to carry them from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so when Christians present the afflictions of Christ to the world, when they carry them from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, we are in fact doing precisely what Acts 1.8 tells us to do. What Jesus first commanded his disciples was to wait for the promise of the Father and that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so when Christians do this, they are filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. It, it is the same kind of promise that Peter encourages his elect exiles with in 1 Peter chapter 4 when he tells them, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This again is precisely why in order to be effective witnesses for Christ in the world, we are to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. The Holy Spirit is the means through which it is the spirit of glory and of God that rests upon you that Peter is speaking about here. It is in fact the way that we are able to break through into a world who does not know about the sufferings of Christ, we as his body on earth, empowered by his spirit, are able to make his love and his sufferings for them and to them known to them by the way in which we live. And so we finish, we complete, we fill up what those afflictions of Christ were originally designed for. A personal presentation to the people of the world who do not know about their infinite worth in the eyes of God and have had never had anyone demonstrate self-sacrificial offering of their own well-being in order to make sure that those people know about Christ. And so really what this means is that God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering he experienced so that when we offer the Christ of the cross to people, they see the Christ of the cross in us. In fact, as we've already looked at, Acts 13 tells us that the early church, Paul himself and Barnabas, took the suffering servant songs from the Isaiah of of the from Isaiah 42 and 49 and applied it directly to themselves to make sense of their ministry. And so Christ's people as his body are the natural extension of his presence on earth. This is what these passages mean for us to understand. And he desires to have a personal presentation of his sufferings to the world. The way he offers himself as a sufferer for the world to the world is through his people who, like him, are willing to suffer for 
the world. His sufferings are completed in our sufferings because in ours, the world sees his and they have their intended effect. The suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. And this was Paul's entire ministry. In fact, throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, which Paul writes in defense of why it is that his life looks the way that it does, particular to a Corinthian church who thought if you really are a messenger of God, then your life would be one of victory and one of triumph and one of glory and grandeur and greatness and riches as all the other gods and those who proclaimed to be speaking on their behalf, told all the Corinthians that this should still be the case. So Paul writes about a life which for him was one filled with hardship and shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments, but Paul takes the time to walk the Corinthians through, hey guys, we worship a lamb who was slain. Why on earth do we believe that the life he will call us to as his followers would or should look any different from a lamb that was slain. And so in short, what we see in Colossians 1.24 is the living out of Jesus's words in Mark 8, particularly verse 35, where Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. The pathway of salvation is the pathway of losing one's life for the sake of the gospel. The point is that taking the gospel to people across the office or across the ocean ordinarily requires sacrifice and suffering, a losing of life or a denying of self. This is the way Christ intends for his saving sufferings to be taken to the world through the sufferings of his people. In fact, suffering is God's strategy for accomplishing the Great Commission. And in the weeks to come in this particular podcast, I've really sensed a strong desire and, a, and, a, and an important need to begin to look at what is, I think, the most confusing, most misunderstood, and either most neglected or most obsessed over book of the entire Bible, and that is the book of Revelation. And the reason why I have been spending so much time trying to walk through these tricky passages like Colossians 1 and taking so much time to walk through just who Jesus actually was despite what people thought he was and how the church finds its identity precisely in those aspects of the Messiah that nobody was anticipating on seeing. The reason why I'm taking all the time to do that And I would submit also the reason why listening to Paul saying that in his flesh he fills up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, the fact that those kinds of statements are not only often misunderstood, but completely um, neglected in the Christian life, I think is what accounts for the majority of the misunderstanding and the gross misapplication of the teaching of the book of Revelation. And I am very eager... Um, hesitant, I think appropriately, but one that I am going to take the time over several, several episodes. I have no timeline in mind for how long I think it should take. I would like to simply walk through it for as long as it takes 
for us as a church to grasp the purposes that God has for the world as demonstrated most clearly in and through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and what that means for a church filled with his spirit, desiring to reach the world and to embody what Paul talks about specifically here in Colossians 1.24, that in our flesh, filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, that is the church, and for the desire to see those who are not yet a part of the church to become so when they see the love Christ has for them manifested through the love they see we have for them. And so I'm very thankful that you're continuing to tune in. Please share this podcast with friends, with family, with neighbors, with people you think would at least be encouraged by one or two of the episodes. Go ahead and just share with them that episode. Send them a link. You can do that fairly easily through the app that you're listening to this on um, right now. But also, if you listen to this on various apps, please give me a rating or a review on whatever app you choose to listen to these on. Very, very thankful for a handful of people that are choosing to support me on a monthly basis, some for 99 cents, some for $4.99 a month, some for $9.99 a month. It is so encouraging for me, very, very helpful as I want to continue to produce good, good, good podcast episodes for all of you listeners. So again, thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your support, and we'll see you next time.